All right, so welcome to the second episode of Insights with AMSI, and we are here today with Samantha Light, the Director of Client Development for Find Your Influence. And uh, funny enough, this is actually her second time in, being that this is actually our only our second podcast, we realized that we needed some new microphones, so she is super amazing and back in with me talking again with our new setup. So uh, we're going to be talking about influencers, and she's going to be giving us some advice on how businesses can sort of work with influencers and how influencers can develop their own sort of brand uh, and how FYI sort of helps bridge the gap between influencers and brands. So uh, Samantha, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Absolutely. So do you want to just give us a little bit of background? I know you're at Finder Influence now, but you you have a pretty mixed bag and a pretty awesome background in terms of influencers and some other areas of expertise. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I started my career in the corporate world at Marriott, worked with Marriott or at Marriott for nine years in various departments, one of them being marketing. Um, and then from Marriott, I left and went to Living Social, where I worked more on the business development side. Um, but we were a startup when I started with Living Social, so we did a oh, lot wow. of our own localized marketing. Um, and then after that, I went on with Gannett, helped lead their lead gen team and kind of mm-hmm. launched that. And then from there, I went to a B2B agency. So um, digital, print, billboard, you name it. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I uh, came on board with Find Your Influence. Wow, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So uh, what was your first experience with any sort of form of influencer marketing? Um, my first experience would be at Marriott. So Marriott was kind of an early bird when it came to the influencer space. It wasn't necessarily referred to as influencer marketing at the time, but mm-hmm. they really kind of launched um, the YouTube realm in terms of utilizing YouTube influencers mm-hmm. to paint a picture of an experience at a Marriott, Mm -hmm. but they also took kind of a comical spin to it. So they attained a lot of views and then eventually went Mm -hmm. viral and you kind of started to see how YouTube became a big player in the space. Interesting. So how would you compare that interaction between Marriott and the influencers to what it is now? Was it more more of a transaction? Was it more authentic? Like what was that experience like for the, you know, the influencer and what the consumer saw? So back then there wasn't Mm -hmm. a platform such as Find Your Influence. So (laughs) one searching for anyone in the space Mm -hmm. um, was a little bit more difficult. There weren't as many people or options. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I'm honest, I'm totally going to age myself, but... um, (laughs) Back then as well, the, you uh-huh. didn't have the internet wasn't what it is today. So yeah. the search option wasn't as um, uh, let's just say it wasn't as broad. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit more narrow. So the folks that you would find were mm-hmm. what you would call like YouTube superstars, which yeah. could be looked at as almost a celebrity now, mm-hmm. but they weren't quite celebrity status then. So mm-hmm. in my mind, still influencers, but you'll see some of these now top-tiered influencers are what you would call social media superstars. So they're kind of the celebrity of influencer marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, yeah, you, you have these folks, and maybe there were a 100 of them, and, and there weren't as many to choose from. And now, mm-hmm. when you're looking for influencers in the space, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, whatever, you'll have different tiers. So you'll have your micro and your macro mm-hmm. and all different reaches. So there's a variety of, of influencer reaches that you can work with. 
Mm-hmm. Very <clears throat> cool. So, and for context, how many people did you have actually working on finding influencers when you were at Marriott? Was it like a small team or how did, how, what did that look like? So there were, gosh, so I can't remember exactly how many people in marketing, but mm-hmm. you had probably five or six people dedicated to the influencer space. Wow. Um, so just to kind of, and you may be asking this question later on down the road, but the actual process without a platform of looking for influencers. Mm-hmm. Um, so the search and then reaching out um, to them in hopes of hearing back and negotiations and all that, mm-hmm. it can be quite daunting and you could spend um, you know, upwards of one person 80, 90 hours a week doing oh, wow. all of this, trying to bring in, it's essentially hiring a team mm-hmm. for a campaign. So that front end work can seem pretty daunting and tedious. And when you have a platform to simplify that and condense the time spent, um, you save man hours. Yeah. There are a lot of people doing a lot of Absolutely. things looking for these influencers. Yeah, and time that can be reallocated elsewhere to yeah. better better resources and things. So Absolutely, yeah. How did you actually find out about Find Your Influence and the founders, and how did, how did those worlds collide? So um, the founders, Jamie and Christine, mm-hmm. were actually clients of mine over at the B2B agency that I worked at. Mm-hmm. At the time... Um, and I think it's kind of a neat story, but they were leading the digital for LifeLock. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure most people have heard of LifeLock. And they started incorporating influencers into their marketing plan when LifeLock kind of took a little bit of a flop in terms of um, the brand sentiment, the the um, overall kind of rating. And so you probably you? remember yeah. The founder of LifeLock went on TV mm-hmm. and gave a social security number and dared people yeah. to hack it. And at one point, it, it happened. And so the publicity wasn't mm-hmm. as great. And some people might turn to PR. Um, the founders turned to influencers and, mm-hmm. and kind of really just invited influencers in and had them do a very candid kind of roundtable discussion. And then they started to see that these influencers ultimately impacted. They were relatable. They all had an incident where maybe they had someone hack into their social security and they had their identity stolen and mm-hmm. things like this can happen. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a reminder when something like this happens, especially to the founder that went on national TV daring someone to do it. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Things need bad things or I guess lessons need to happen in order for mm-hmm. us to improve our our um I guess, business model or whatever they were looking to do. So, yeah, so the founders brought in influencers. They started to see the brand sentiment um, increase Mm -hmm. in a positive manner. It went from maybe low 30s to upper 90s in terms of 90 percentile in terms of of their ratings. So they started to see how influencer marketing is ultimately um, the way that people are relating to a brand or a business or whatnot. Um, and at the time they were doing it organically. So they were searching Mm -hmm. for them. They were hoping to hear back. They were negotiating that can take hours, weeks, and some people might reply back right away and some might not. So Mm -hmm. a light bulb went off and that's when they realized they needed to create a software to really kind of one condense the time spent, but be that one top one stop shop Mm -hmm. where one would log in and literally create a campaign find influencers, pay them, get full metrics and analytics. And when they launched it, when they first um, launched the software, I happened to be there. And I remember as working at this B2B agency, Mm -hmm. I remember walking out of the meeting thinking, 
why didn't I think of this? Because there was no, there was no other software out there. We were the first wow. to launch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew pretty quickly that I wanted to get on board with Find Your Influence. Very cool. And mm-hmm. what year is this, just so we have a, a better timeline? So they launched in 2013, and okay. I came on board in 2014. Awesome. So mm-hmm. uh, that's a, a great segue. So tell us a little bit more about the Finder Influence platform then and how it sort of developed over the years because I know it's grown and services mm-hmm. have been added in and so there's all sorts of different things happening. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So when Find Your Influence launched, we launched the software. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first software out that and out there and I always kind of mention that I don't mention that for bragging, right? It's more for a data, from a data perspective. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of data and we're able to use that data to make guarantees on our managed services side. So mm-hmm. uh, we launched the software. We learned pretty quickly that even with having this great software that literally builds a campaign, you can recruit influencers that are opted in. Mm-hmm. Opted in is important because yeah. they know that they're in there. They sign the legality that they're going to adhere to FTC guidelines and all those little things that we don't brands don't want to get in trouble for. We handle that. Um, but we found pretty quickly that the average um, person in marketing, they're great. And you know, if you're working with a digital team or on the media side, they're great in what they do. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't worked in influencer marketing and all those little intricate details, mm-hmm. um, it's it's a little bit of a learning lesson in terms of the science and the art behind it. Mm-hmm. So we learned pretty quickly that we had these brands that wanted to utilize our, our platform but needed coaching and consulting through it. So yeah. we then launched the managed services side of our business where mm-hmm. um, we have a team dedicated to running campaigns from end to end. And the brand can be the brand and or the agency, we work with a lot of agencies, um, can be as involved as they like or as hands-off as they like. Um, on the managed services side, we're able to provide guarantees such as impressions and engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and since the, the launch in 2013, we now are global. So we launched um, our business, our company going global, uh, gosh, about eight or nine months ago. My gosh, congratulations. Mm-hmm. Huge. We've worked on a couple big global campaigns now. And um, it's really exciting because... For us, there there are a lot of new influencer marketing companies out there, mm-hmm. and so we want to stay as innovative as possible. Possible, but we also want to, um, you know, be again that one stop shop for mm-hmm. our brand and agency partners, um, especially because a lot of our agency partners are working with a lot of big global brands. Yeah. Absolutely. And so what are some of the challenges and hurdles that you've seen in working with influencers internationally? What is that? Is, is it different or what have you seen from that experience? Um, well, we know. So the average timeline for a campaign, let's just say within the U.S., from let's say a, a client calls me and wants to kind of get the ball rolling. Um, from that moment to when content can go live, the average time is about three weeks. Um give or take, right? Mm-hmm. And that could, you know, there's a lot of factors in between those three weeks mm-hmm. that from us working with an agency and working with a brand, they have to run things through legal. So yeah. sometimes things could take a little bit longer or maybe mm-hmm. it, it's only two weeks. We can rush campaigns if need be. But what we found is one, it adds to that timeline. So when you're, when we're working with um, influencers in other countries, their time difference is a huge factor. So if we're emailing them today, mm-hmm. um, we're most likely not going to hear back from them until tomorrow. So it's super important to make sure that in that email we get 
every question answered, mm-hmm. everything we need so that it's not another email going back yeah. and waiting another day. So timeline-wise, it adds to that. The language barriers, mm-hmm. um, you know, communicating what the brand wants mm-hmm. is completely different in the U.S. than it is in other countries. Um, so we, you know, obviously have to be cognizant of that. Mm-hmm. We do have feet on the ground in, in most continents. So wow. we're able to reach out to those folks and help out with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would say just adding to the timeline. Um, so if someone's looking and by the way, our first global campaign was a rush. It was an album release of an artist and it was, we need this rushed ASAP. The album oh, comes man. out in two weeks. So <laughs> we did it. We pulled through, but I will tell you. A lot of late nights, but that's what's great imagine. about having our managed services side. Mm-hmm. We're it's all we do. We're good at it. We have these relationships, and we're able to to pull in the right people as needed. Very cool. And how big is the team now? Gosh, so we I'll tell you when we launched, I was the sixth person hired. Um, okay. So we're now at 34, 34, yeah, thirty four folks. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. I Very know. cool. It's exciting. So, when a new client comes on and starts talking about influencers and how to build relationships, what do you think is the biggest misconception that they usually have when they first come to you? Um, I would say the biggest misconception. I would say, number one, that it's just a button you push and it magically happens. Mm-hmm. Um, that, there would, are, that would be amazing, though, wouldn't it? It, it would, and, <laughs> and it's so funny because... Um, this is where the education piece comes in, and, and I find I most of my conversations from the initial conversation to let's shake hands and do this, mm-hmm. it's probably three to four conversations. The first two aren't necessarily educating them on what we can do for their brand. Mm-hmm. It's educating them on what they need to do to get ready for an influencer marketing campaign and how it works. Mm-hmm. So. The biggest misconception is pushing a button, and it's just a bunch of people that we hit this button in our our software. Mm -hmm. We need this. Do it. Because there are influencers that if, or brands, let's say a brand wants three Instagram posts and a YouTube post. Mm -hmm. The average campaign consists of maybe one or two pieces of content. Mm -hmm. So if you're asking for three Instagram posts, that's a far more expensive campaign. Mm -hmm. So they might come back and counter offer. So there's all these little intricate things. Oh, wow. That's interesting. This is where the science and the art (laughs) behind it comes, comes into play. So if a brand presents a budget and they want us to just kind of hit a button, we still have to put together a puzzle (laughs) Mm -hmm. of, okay, with this budget and these goals and how you're measuring it and social platforms, Here's the puzzle we put together. This is what's going to work out really well for you. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I can't present. It's not a box I can bring into a room and say, this is what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. It's literally having, again, those first initial conversations and mm-hmm. really figuring out what the KPIs are and what the brand's goals are. And mm-hmm. not just short term, but long term, what they're doing on their digital side, PR side, you name it. Mm-hmm. And, and then going in and presenting that box that is customized for them in that particular campaign. Mm -hmm. No campaign is ever the same. Yeah. Never has. Isn't that the truth? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So taking a step back even further, so how can a brand, you know, if they're working with a platform like Finder Influence or if they're just working, trying to connect with influencers independently, how can they evaluate what sort of influencers are appropriate for their brand? So that's where the conversations with, you know, with myself or any of our team when they initially mm-hmm. reach out come into play. Um, 
you know, it's funny. I've had brands reach out and they think that mommy bloggers are going to be the best fit for them. Mm -hmm. And then finding out their goals, we realized pretty quickly that, yeah, it might be mommy bloggers, but they need to be mommy bloggers that are millennials Mm -hmm. that have a beauty and fitness focus, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a a variety of categories of influencers out there. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea, the, the biggest... The most important part isn't just the influencer that's going to be authentic to their brand or their product, Mm -hmm. um, but the audience. So looking kind of a step deeper and looking at who their audience is. Because if they're targeting millennials that are moms that live in the state of New York, but we're working with influencers that live in a completely different state, it's and their followings a majority of, let's just say, California, it's not mm-hmm. going to do them any good to have that influencer, even though they think that influencer is the perfect fit for them. <laughs> so it's it's really just kind of all of those little intricate things yeah. on the front end to fine-tune the, the next steps in the process of reaching out to the right influencers. Interesting. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And then, so once a, a brand or a, you know a company like yourself has identified the appropriate influencer for a brand to partner with. What does that process look like in terms of, uh, you know, actually starting to build a relationship that's more that's more enduring beyond just one campaign? So, what is that relationship like, and how do you continue building it? That's great. So that would be what we call our brand ambassadors. Um, through our platform, we have um, full metrics and analytics. Mm-hmm. And part of the platform, what we do is we pull in your top performers. Um, so I like to kind of compare influencer marketing is very similar to SEO. By the way, it also helps with your SEO. The more <laughs> campaigns you do, the higher one populates an SEO search. Um, but I like to compare it to that in mm-hmm. the realm of if someone has an event and they just need a one-off campaign, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But it's important to have a long-term strategy. The more campaigns you do, the higher you'll populate in SEO. But um, for from your first campaign, mm-hmm. we're gonna. It's kind of like SEO where you you look at it, you figure it out after the first month what worked and what mm-hmm. didn't. Iron out the kinks, optimize what worked, and move forward. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of fine-tune it, and it starts to become this well-oiled machine. Um, with that, you want to continue to work with the folks, the top performers, mm-hmm. and then campaign two, three, whatever, we sprinkle in new influencers. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how you build the momentum. Um, you know, sometimes it's important to have brand ambassadors, and sometimes it's important to um, also sprinkle in when you work with them, and not necessarily for every campaign, because you mm-hmm. want to continue to add new audience yeah. as well. So it really just depends. We have some brands that that, you know, maybe they're a hair product brand that all they want is that face for their hair product. And that makes sense. And then you have brands that they are really heavy on impressions and they Mm -hmm. want more views and they want just exposure. And while a brand ambassador is going to be important for that, we want to continue to um, grow that exposure by adding in new folks and having maybe multiple brand ambassadors that you pull in um, Mm -hmm. strategically throughout the calendar year. And not working with yeah. them for every campaign necessarily. Yeah. So custom, custom for every it's, every situation. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Not not that again. Going back to the whole box yeah. concept. Mm-hmm. Um, it's completely different for every campaign, and that's mm-hmm. something that over we've run over ten thousand campaigns. Mm-hmm. We have over I think three billion impressions out there. Oh wow. We have a lot of experience under our belts, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so. Um, 
I mean, this, this is me bragging. We're really good at what we do. Our team is, that's all we do Mm -hmm. all day, all night. And when it's a global campaign, I literally mean all night. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. Absolutely. So can you tell us a little bit about some of these campaigns? Maybe one that posed more of a challenge or that you were really proud of? What can you tell us a little bit more about one? Yeah, so um, one that proved to be a bit of a challenge was the one that I was referring to before. Um, It was an album release for Taylor Swift's new album. Mm -hmm. It was every country except the U.S. Oh, my gosh. Um, (laughs) And so that, while it wasn't our first global campaign, it Mm -hmm. was our first very, very large global campaign. Absolutely. Where we were activating over 230 influencers globally. Wow. So... Yes, we have feet on the ground. Yes, we have experience. Yes, we have mm-hmm. a lot of check marks next to kind of these qualifications. But mm-hmm. until you're in there actually working with these folks and getting your hands dirty, mm-hmm. you don't actually know all of the little intricate things. And by the way, we'll never know them all. It's always going to change and evolve, and we're going to continue to learn through every influencer and every campaign. Yeah. Um, but it, it proved to be a challenge merely for the fact that the time change. You know, yeah. when you're trying to launch something from, you know, now to two weeks from now mm-hmm. and you're working globally with all these influencers, it's super important to be buttoned up. And literally, like I said, that email that we send out with the mm-hmm. offer has to be so detailed that there aren't a million questions going back and forth because that ultimate ultimately delays it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that was a challenge. It was wildly successful. The content was beautiful. The influencers were amazing. The brand was amazing. The team over at Universal Music was amazing. Everything about it was exactly what, I guess, made it so successful. Mm -hmm. So that kind of brings me to another point of what is important from my perspective as well is when a brand or an agency comes to me and has an expectation of a campaign Mm -hmm. and a launch date, our job is not only to put together this package of what is important for a campaign mm-hmm. and the right influencers and kind of that proposal, but what is expected from day one of us having this conversation mm-hmm. to when content goes live. And it's literally being as detailed as putting together a campaign timeline of, okay, we need paperwork done by this day, we need this done by this day, and mm-hmm. keeping this timeline up to date. Yeah, Because if we don't, and we don't get something back on a deadline, then it's going to throw off let's say, you know, you're working with 230 people all over the world and you have something that's, you know, that doesn't get complete before that next step, it throws everything off. And each one of those influencers have a different timeline that they're working on. They're Mm -hmm. working on other campaigns. So there is this well-oiled machine in terms of communication that we have constantly with our brand and agency partners to keep everyone on track. And that's what made this extremely, what at first seemed like, um, Uh, It was a little bit challenging Mm -hmm. of a campaign to wildly successful is because all of us were just so on top of communication and that timeline. So Yeah, managing expectations is always crucial for any project success. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, absolutely, yeah. So sort of uh, changing directions a little bit. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about sort of local small businesses and what the influencer relationship can be like for them. So think local cafes or small boutiques, things like that. How can they start to build an influencer relationship or start sort of just exploring that realm? What what advice do you have for a small business owner looking to do that? So 
Um, if, if a business, so first and foremost, uh, we work with small, you know, so SMBs, and then we work with medium companies and very mm-hmm. large companies as well, right? So we work with an array of, of clients. And, you know, I always have small business owners asking me, is this something I can even afford? Um, you know, we have options. We have a, a platform seat where if someone wants to run their own campaigns, mm-hmm. they, you know, most likely if they're a small business owner, they're not running more than one campaign. And mm-hmm. so it's a little bit more of a simple process. Mm-hmm. So there are options like that. It still does require a budget. Mm-hmm. But I also have business owners that don't necessarily have that budget ready quite yet. Mm-hmm. They're just launching. My first piece of advice is obviously make sure that you're investing in PPC and SEO, mm-hmm. right? Make sure you have that, that front end. Um, visibility on the internet and then also have a great you know have a website because if you do start to let's say you want to get on the news and do a headline on the news mm-hmm. and you're opening your business and people go to google you and you don't have a website or it's not Ugh. you know up to yeah. par and you know you bring people to your website and then there's no call to action then you you lose that momentum that you've built with that spotlight on the news, right? So mm-hmm. little things like that. And then also if you're working with influencers, again, you you want to drive people back to something mm-hmm. so that you, whether it's you're a boutique and you're looking to, um, you know, have influencers endorse a product or a few products, and then people go to your website and they ha- they can't find it. Well, it completely defeats the purpose of it, yeah. right? So the, the front end website, SEO PPC, um, but if, again, if budget's not there, reach out to a couple folks. There are influencers that are lower tiered influencers that would be more than happy to get experience with their content and grow their following and endorse something that, again, they'll mm-hmm. accept it if it's authentic to them, mm-hmm. right? If they're a food blogger here in Phoenix and they're looking to grow and they're still kind of starting up, invite them out, let them, let them try a meal and, you know, give mm-hmm. you exposure to their audience, um, and then as you grow your social and you grow um, your customer clientele and you can start to invest in more of a strategic plan, um, you know, it's important to have a, a plan when mm-hmm. it comes to influencer marketing. Then then we can talk and figure out is it two or three activations you do a quarter or, you know, two a year? What does that look like? But, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's the front end would be just making sure that you have everything buttoned up in terms of you know, mm-hmm. your, your digital and your social. And then just to expand on a couple of those points. So you mentioned lower tier influencers. So mm-hmm. what, how would you qualify that? And then uh, just expanding on the idea of an activation, just in case anyone isn't sure what that, what that oh, means yeah. exactly. It's... So yeah. So first, what, what do you, what would you qualify as a lower tier influencer that a small business owner should be looking for? What, what does that look like? Uh, thank you for mentioning that because sometimes you mention you talk lingo and realize not everyone <laughs> is on, on par with it. So um, first and foremost, lower tiered um, is what we call micro influencers, um, and micro influencers are they could be those folks just starting up and have a couple hundred followers, mm-hmm. or um, they could have five thousand followers. The lowest tier you'll typically find in our platform mm-hmm. is about 5K okay. across all social and or blog. So we pull in their following across their social mm-hmm. um, and then their blog views in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason we st- we are usually, I'm mean, going say maybe 4K, but the reason we don't go below that necessarily mm-hmm. is we do really want to make sure that we have um, 
the influencers that have the experience for yeah. our brands, especially because we do work with a lot of large brands and the influencers that are below that, when they come to us, we don't just shy them away. We actually have a partnership with Blogger University where we send them through that to really fine tune mm-hmm. what it takes to be an influencer. Mm-hmm. And it covers everything from FTC guidelines. So the legality is super important. Content, you know, um, when you accept to work on a campaign, expectations, you know, mm-hmm. working with the brand, communication, all those little things that make this, the, the process seamless. So side note with that, um, but lower tiered sounds like it's a negative thing. It's not. I love are micro or what you would call lower tiered influencers. Mm-hmm. They're hungry. They engage with every, you know, engagement on their content. Mm-hmm. So if 500 people commented on a post that they had for a brand, you better believe they're in there engaging with them because they want to grow their following. Absolutely. And that's the, the connection they make with their following. So mm-hmm. they're really good at bending over backwards and really just trying to make sure that the brand's happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that the higher tiered or macro influencers aren't, Mm-hmm. Um, but they've gotten so big now that they have, um, they might have representation, so they might have a manager mm-hmm. and they're not replying to all 10,000 comments on, yeah, as, <laughs> it's, as it's as virtually like impossible. Yeah. So, um, so that's kind of, you know, how we mm-hmm. break up the different tiers of influencer or the micro versus mm-hmm. macro. Mm-hmm. Um, and then activation. So activating a campaign, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to take it a step further because most people ask me, what is a campaign? Um, if let's just say Nike came to me and they have a, um, they want to focus on a basketball event, mm-hmm. that can be a campaign. It would be that particular event. Mm-hmm. And for that campaign, it's everything that we put together, including the influencers, from start date to end date. Mm-hmm. So it could be three week, four week, five week. Once that campaign, once the content's the last piece of content went live, mm-hmm. campaign's over, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that the metrics and analytics don't continue to pour in. Um, so that would define a campaign. I always That's probably the number one question I get asked. Yeah, I, I can imagine. There's lots of lingo in the marketing world, and given mm-hmm. this industry continues to change and grow and develop, they yeah. just new words just keep popping up. I'm mm-hmm. like, where are they coming from? <laughs> I know, activation. That was not something I talked about a year ago, so... <laughs> Relatively new. Mm-hmm. So for the, the smaller business, um, what sort of activation could you see, for example, for maybe like a small restaurant or a small boutique that wants to test a potential activation? What Can you sort of come up with an idea for that situation? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> um, you know, something I've seen a lot of, and I love it, um, you know, you'll see a lot of boutique hotels or restaurants as they launch They'll reach out to local influencers mm-hmm. that will come out and not just post a picture of their food, but now you see a lot of them using Instagram video, Snapchat, mm-hmm. to also paint a picture of their experience from the moment they left the house to dining and whatnot. Um, we, we did a campaign with, and I loved this campaign, and I'll use it as an example, uh, Fair. Fair is Uber and Lyft's competitor, and they were the only... Um, in Austin, we, we did a localized campaign in Austin with FAIR, but they were the only um, rideshare that was operating at the time mm-hmm. because Lyft and Uber were just kind of kicked out. Legally, I don't remember why. I think they're back out there now. But we did this campaign with FAIR, mm-hmm. and FAIR, we kind of we worked it out where these localized influencers were um, making a night of it. So it wasn't just, oh, FAIR is great. They were on time. The driver was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Here's a picture of me. 
getting in my car, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's not that's not that great. We wanted to yeah. paint a picture of why would you use fair? Um, where are you going? Talk about your night. And so we had a, a couple that was, you know, an influencer that we picked or influencers that we picked and they were talking about date night and they took pictures getting ready and they had a champagne toast before they left the house and then they got in their fare and they were safely driving to the restaurant they were going to dinner at mm-hmm. and then they went to a, a movie afterwards. And so each influencer that we worked with on that campaign painted a picture of why they would need fare mm-hmm. and no one's campaign, no one's reason with was the exact same. Mm-hmm. So if it were a small business that's local, let's say here to Phoenix, it's a restaurant, right? What is your bread and butter? What makes you different from all of these restaurants? It's number mm-hmm. one, you would want to focus on that when the influencers come in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just kind of making sure that it's more, it's more than just taking pictures of the food. Mm-hmm. Um, it's literally the experience of, you know, date night out. Maybe you arrange for them to get picked up and Mm -hmm. they come out and they, you know, get to have a great time and have a few drinks and, you know, and then they get to kind of focus on whatever specialized cocktails you have and Mm -hmm. appetizers and chef special. And if you have a special dessert that you can't find anywhere else. Um, so that would be my recommendation. What makes you special? What, what makes you stick out? Mm -hmm. Um, and paint a picture of the entire night, not just the experience at the restaurant. Yeah, I think as consumers, we are we sort of glaze over the things that don't seem authentic or that don't really paint mm-hmm. a real picture for us anymore. It just it's not enough. We yeah. want we want the whole story. We want the whole the whole image. So yeah, um, that's that's a great idea. Absolutely. So tell me, what is it about you know influencer marketing? Because you seem so passionate about it, and you know you just dove into the FYI stuff head first, pretty much. So what is it about influencer marketing that you love so much? It's so funny. I'm going (laughs) to tell you this kind of story. I actually recently did a speaking event Mm -hmm. in Salt Lake with, um, it was an entertainment and media event, Mm -hmm. but they had an influencer segment, myself and one of our um, macro high-tiered influencers, Mm -hmm. Scal, her name is A Taste of Coco. Mm -hmm. She's a food blogger in Austin. She's amazing. Um, Her and I went out and did the speaking event. And it's so funny because they asked a very similar question mm-hmm. and my answer had the entire audience laughing and I realized this is what I'm going to use from here on out because <laughs> it's the best depiction. Um, growing up, I loved Wheaties because of Michael Jordan. I loved Michael Jordan oh and I ate Wheaties because of Michael <laughs> Jordan. There's a reason I'm bringing this up. And um, my the reason I loved Michael Jordan and Wheaties is because my dad did and I mm-hmm. my dad and I were best buds. So for years I ate it because Michael Jordan's on the box, Michael Jordan's endorsing it, he loves it. Uh-huh. About three, four years ago, I was reading an article and Michael Jordan was asked, did you ever really love Wheaties? And he's like, no, I never ate them. And at that moment I was like, <laughs> man, that's a back in, you know, back when I was a kid, I'm not going to yeah. tell you how long ago, <laughs> but back then really endorsement was all you found was celebrities endorsing a product and you weren't quite sure if that celebrity was actually authentically endorsing it Mm -hmm. if they really use it Mm -hmm. right so sometimes you see these commercials with Halle Berry using L'Oreal I realistic yeah like (laughs) your skin looks great Halle it's L'Oreal right L'Oreal is probably a great product or it is a great product Mm -hmm. right but um, is she really using it? We don't know, right? These yeah. celebrities um, sometimes just get paid a lot of money to endorse it. So that kind of struck a chord with me because I'm thinking, man, all these years, <laughs> I thought Michael Jordan loved weed. You know, it was just kind yeah. of that thing where I realized pretty quickly that um, 
it's completely different with influencer marketing, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yes, they get paid and they get paid because it's a lot of work. It's a full-time job. And these macro, these high-tiered folks, that's all they're doing is taking photos, editing them, writing blogs, um, you know, out with brands, taking pictures of food, which literally is not just a one-take photo, right? There's oh, a man. lot of editing. It's a full-time job. Yes, they get paid, but these influencers know that in order to build their audience mm-hmm. and in order to grow, they have to work with brands that represent who they are. So mm-hmm. they have a brand on social, Instagram, Pinterest, you name it, that they have to adhere to. So if they are a fitness influencer that does not eat anything that has sugar in it, but then they start working with, you know, um, I don't know what brand owns Oreos, but they start endorsing <laughs> Oreos. It's going to look like they just wanted to get paid, right? Yeah. Because their entire feed is is no sugar, no this, whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, they're not going to accept a campaign that's not authentic to who they are. And that's what I love about it. Yes, again, they get paid for it, but they're incorporating something that they truly use, they love, and it's something that ultimately they're ex- they're excited about mm-hmm. um, and they do a really good job of showing whatever product restaurant brand you name it in a way that creates an experience for someone and mm-hmm. that when I see you know when I'm looking on Instagram um, and I see a picture of a dress and I see a beautiful supermodel in it I'm like I don't know if I'm gonna buy that dress because I'm probably <laughs> I'm not tall and you know like long legs like that supermodel. So mm-hmm. maybe it's not gonna look great on me. But when you see somebody that actually is more realistic, um, mm-hmm. wearing and endorsing something, you know you're more likely to purchase it. Yeah. So Absolutely. long-winded answer. Sorry, but I, the, no, you can tell I, I get so heated Wheaties, and knows? excited. <laughs> I know. I still like Wheaties. I'll still eat it. (laughs) No, I do think it's really interesting, though, seeing even, like, bigger brands. I think it was Aerie that really made the shift towards being just even the models Mm -hmm. being more natural and just people in general, society in general, just were not accepting this, like, fake perception of what reality is anymore because it's not healthy for anyone. Yeah. But Agreed. On the influencer side... What can someone do if they are if they just are aspiring to become an influencer? What advice do you have for them in terms of if they maybe want to maybe work with or work on your platform at one point in time, or how can they get to that point? First and foremost, the number one important um, thing to have ironed out before you do anything else mm-hmm. is what is your brand? Mm-hmm. What is your category? Mom blogger, beauty blogger, fitness. That's a category, right? But you find that there are fitness, so you want to take it a step further and have a mm-hmm. little bit more of a specification as to what you are. So for example, there could be someone that's fitness, but they're yoga. Mm-hmm. Or you can have someone that's fitness, but they're they're gonna their whole feed is about how to lift and counting macros or you know, whatever mm-hmm. that may be. Or if yeah. you're a beauty blogger, um, are you makeup or you hair. So get specific. What's your passion? And it has to be a passion mm-hmm. because um, while someone might think, well, I really like running, but I'm, I'm just going to focus on that. But I have just started running and, you know, that could potentially be a phase and you don't want to, again, have um, a, something you've built up, you've spent a lot of time mm-hmm. and then you realize it's not your passion and now you don't keep up with it. And that's when you start to lose those followers. So yeah. something you're passionate about, hone in on it, something that you know that you can spend night and day working on, doing photos for, editing, Mm -hmm. 
when you're out having a good time with your friends and you think this is a great opportunity to take a photo, you're going to be more apt to doing it if you're passionate about it. Yeah. And I mean, if only we could say that overnight you would start getting, you know, paid Mm -hmm. partnerships and things, but this is something it's very entrepreneurial. You know, you have to do it on nights and weekends and probably still have a full-time job because unfortunately right off the bat, you're probably not going to be making tons of money doing this sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. A passion project for sure. So do you have any resources that you think would be really helpful for business owners looking to get, learn more about, you know, influencer marketing or influencers to maybe look at as an example of, you know, a great influencer that's really built up their brand? You have, I I feel like you probably have a whole, a whole set of data over there. Yeah. I mean, from a brand perspective, if someone's wanting to learn a little bit more about it, I mean, there are a million companies out there and a million different articles about Mm -hmm. what to do. At the end of the day, I try to read them all. I am obsessed with combing through everything on the internet. And for me, it's just to stay on top of what else is out there. And Mm -hmm. I don't mean competition wise, but what, what are people hearing? What are brands hearing? Mm -hmm. Right. One article says influencer marketing is the way to go. And this is why it's beneficial. And then you have another article with some person that's like, no, don't use influencers. It's terrible. Well, how do you know either either is credible, right? Mm-hmm. My recommendation, and and I'm completely open to people emailing me and, you know, hey, is this the right fit for me? Here's kind of what I'm looking to accomplish. Um, I will tell you first and foremost that um, while I, you know, a majority of what I do is business development. I'm not a salesperson that's looking to just bring anyone <laughs> in. That's not our company. Yeah. We want a great reputation. We want to educate people on the space. Mm-hmm. And if someone comes to us and I a, don't feel like they're quite ready or if the budget's not going to produce the results they're looking for, we'll, we'll tell them what they need to do in order to get there. Mm-hmm. But let me help you educate or let me educate you and answer these questions that you have because inevitably every conversation I have, even if it's an agency and that they've worked with influencers, they might also work in digital. So they're not, you know, in it day in and day out, Mm -hmm. bring the questions to me. Let me help you kind of, you know, clarify what's out there and what, what the myths and what the reality is. Mm -hmm. So from a brand perspective, um, just do your homework a little bit, whether it's reaching out to someone like myself or, you know, looking to, um, you know, find influencers. So, I'm trying to think um, if I pronounce his name. So Shane Barker is a very popular gentleman on Twitter, YouTube. He's a talker, but he's very heavy in the influencer space. Um, I love to read this guy's content. It's true. It's authentic. He does his homework. Mm -hmm. And he's all about influencer marketing because he has worked in the space. He's worked on the agency side. He's literally traveling the world right now talking about it with various uh, brands. So um, he gets paid by brands to come in and educate them on it. So he's someone, he's on Twitter. You can read through his content that he produces. He's a great um, resource if you're looking to learn a little bit more about the space. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd recommend that. Now from an influencer's perspective, if someone's looking to get in the space, um, I would say, you know, number one, again, have kind of your brand and what you're looking to accomplish. Um, start reaching out to, you know, small business owners and seeing how you might potentially be able to plug and play with, with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say from, you know, that perspective, if you have questions, reach out to other influencers, network, get out there, mm-hmm. figure out who's kind of went from, you know, this space that, you know, that was a startup to now they've grown significantly, mm-hmm. um, an example would be what Lola likes. She's a local influencer. 
Um, and I know I talked about her when we came in and did the first <laughs> recording, but um, first take. <laughs> she is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, she's one of my personal favorites. Mm-hmm. No, she did not <laughs> pay me to say this, <laughs> but she started off here in Phoenix. She was single. Um, she, she may have had her now husband was her boyfriend at the time. I can't quite remember, but she was a lifestyle blogger that really focused on, um, taking a dog from a local shelter and spotlighting them whatever mm-hmm. week it was. So every week she spotlighted a new pup that needed to be adopted. That's amazing. And she did it in a really cute, authentic way. It wasn't just her at the shelter taking a picture of this pup. She was somewhere local in Phoenix, maybe at a local restaurant that and you know loved having pups there. Mm-hmm. Had a picture of the pup, showed this pup's kind of demeanor, mm-hmm. personality, and these pups were getting adopted. I mean, she had a lot of success. Oh my gosh, that's that's so awesome. It was so great to watch it. And then eventually her and her boyfriend got more serious. And so she incorporated him in her content and then they got mm-hmm. engaged. And now they're married and they're pregnant with their se- second child. So her, she's brought in her, she's just truly authentic. She mm-hmm. takes video footage of her with no makeup on and she's at home with her, her, her beautiful little daughter, Vivian. And <laughs> her, you know, just super... Um, inviting. She's authentic. She's real. Mm-hmm. She doesn't just show the good. She shows all of it. Yep. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And we all have it in our life. Tell so she's someone to look at and just mm-hmm. kind of look at her early content to where she is at now. And a lot of it is I see her really still engaging with her followers, which is key. Yeah. It's so funny, like, growing alongside these influencers, mm-hmm. how we, like, become part of their lives and vice versa. Yeah. It's so interesting yeah. how that's been changing over the years. Agreed. Agreed. Awesome. Well, Sam, thank you so much for coming in to talk with me again. Yeah, you are amazing. It. Thank you. Um, so if people have questions for you, if they want to learn more about Find Your Influence, how can people get a hold of you? Um, they're more than welcome to email me at samantha at findyourinfluence.com. Um, or they can certainly reach out to go on findyourinfluence.com. Um, and, and there's a, a contact portion there where you can reach out. And, and I usually get those as well. Um, yeah. So feel free to email me with any questions. Awesome. Well, Sam, thank you so much. And uh, that'll be it. Thanks. Until next time.